Praise God for this time together uh, to sing together. Praise God for this praise team. Can we give them a hand, praise team? Thank you so much for serving us in this way. It's such an important ministry. There are so many uh, important people doing things all the time that we don't even um, think about. There's people serving our kids right now. Uh, There's people who were here early this morning. There were people who were here yesterday. There are people who are going to be here next week for the Easter egg hunt. Um, So many opportunities to serve. So many um, unseen servants. Have you ever noticed that the things that the world thinks are important are often not the same sort of things that God thinks are important? A lot of times there's there's a a disconnect between what the world thinks and what God thinks, and the world says, this is important. Michael Jordan's important. Being famous is important. Being good at this sport is important. Having money is important. And then God says, being a servant is important. Being humble is important. Laying your life down for others is important. And what we're trying to figure out is, Lord, would you shape my heart so that I'm more like you, Lord Jesus? Mark has been giving us a glimpse into the priorities of Jesus. We're in Mark chapter 10 um, this morning. Um, and we've seen Jesus and his priorities and what he thinks is important. We've seen him prioritizing the needs of, of hungry people. We've seen him uh, prioritizing prayer. We've seen him prioritizing uh, desperate people like the demon-possessed man. We've seen him prioritizing compassion on the deaf and the mute. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus prioritized, everything that he showed that he believed was important was supporting his purpose. We need to pray. I've been praying this week as I've been thinking about this even more. God, would you help me to see what you think is important? We have so many options, so many things that we could be doing, and not all of them are bad, but we only have a limited amount of time, and we need to be led by the Spirit to know what's most important for me right now. God, what are you doing right now? What's your priority for me right now? in this moment. And if we, if we make that our prayer, what we'll often find out is that God is going to upset our previous ideas of what we think is important so that he can shine his light into our hearts so that we start to see what he thinks is important so that our priorities start to align um, with his. Join me in Mark 10 this morning, um, verses 13 through 16. Mark ten thirteen, And they were bringing children to Jesus so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and and he began blessing them, laying his hands on them. At this moment, Jesus' priority is to give a deeper revelation of who he is, to be able to take these families and his disciples and teach them some important things. Here are the things that we see that he's going to teach them about. He's going to teach them about priorities. He's going to teach them about what pleases God. He's going to teach them about humility, and he's going to teach them about blessing. And so that's the direction that we're going um, this morning. So verse 13, Mark starts off telling us that people, families, parents are bringing their children to Jesus. So this first part of the message is for parents. 
you know, we have so many options of things that we can do with our kids, so many activities to keep them busy, right? There are you know, necessary things. There are leisure things. There are fun things, family things, spiritual activities. What's the most important? What's the priority for us as parents? Is How are we going to help our kids spend their time? As believers, we have to parent differently. And whatever we do, we want to do it to the glory of God. And whatever we do, we want to bring our kids to Jesus. How do we bring our kids to Jesus? He isn't here. We can't go to him in a physical place. And yet, there's encouragement for us in the word to make sure that we are bringing our kids to Jesus. I have a couple of thoughts about how we do that. The first way that we do that is that we lead our families. Parents, we've got to lead our families. We all are followers, and we want to make sure that we're saying, hey, as I lead my family, I'm still a follower. I'm following Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Parents, we say, follow me as I lead you, but understand that it's not my idea, my priority, my idea of what I think is important, but it's Jesus's. Parents, let's make sure that we communicate to our kids that our priorities are Jesus's priorities. That's how we lead them to Jesus. We lead in humility. We lead in awareness in response to the fact that Jesus wants to be involved in all those moments of life. It's okay to want to be a great basketball player, but we do it in a way that honors the Lord. It's okay to want to be a great baseball player, but we do it in a way that honors the Lord. And as we have opportunity to talk about that, we help them understand what that means to do your best, to be great at something in ways that honor God. Parents, we've got to admit when we fall short. You know, that's one of the ways that we lead them to Jesus is to show them that we're not like Christ all the time, but that we want to be like Christ. Let's talk about our desire to be more like him. So we lead our kids to Jesus by leading our, ch- our children and our families. Uh, we bring them to the word. The word is how we know Jesus, how we know who he is, how much he loves. The word is how he speaks to us. Spirit brings illumination and understanding to the word that helps us know him. And so, parents, let's make sure that as, as we um, interact with our kids, that they hear from us what God is saying to us in the word. Let's let them hear from us about what God is saying, what God is doing, how he's growing us, and how he's shaping us. There aren't many kids in here, but if you're a kid in here, I want to challenge you. Ask your parents, what is God saying to you? Not just what have you been reading, but what has God been saying? And parents, take advantage of the opportunities that you have to bring your kids to Jesus by bringing them to the word. We also, um, in addition to leading, our, leading in our families and, and talking about the word, we bring them to church. Church is a, I was so, so thankful that Nora said, she was thankful for the church this morning. I'm thankful for the church this morning. The church is a, a, a group of people gathered together, unified, you know, in sound doctrine, unified in ministry, under the, pastor, under the pastoring and shepherding of a body of elders, growing together in faith, growing together in, in fruitful ministry, worshiping God together advancing the kingdom together, making a difference in our communities together. 
Church is important, and just like families and just like the word, this church is a God-given gift to his people. We're not supposed to follow Jesus alone. We're not supposed to do it independently. We need the accountability of a pastor. We need the encouragement of fellow believers. And so we bring our kids to Jesus by bringing them to other godly examples of people who are trying to follow Jesus. We have an even bigger family than we think. This is kind of a preview of what's going to happen later on in Mark 10. But Peter's going to say, we've given up everything. And Jesus is like, your family's even bigger now than it was. I'm so thankful that my kids get to come here to this local body and have you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, ministering to them and helping them and leading them and teaching them and serving them. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not just the fact that, you know, you guys show up and set up and run the bouncy house during the events that we do. Those are all such important things, but it's also the fact that they get to see you modeling the life of Christ demonstrating Christ's likeness for them, and I'm so um, thankful for that. If you're not a parent, it's okay because people are bringing their kids to Jesus, and you get to be a part of that. You get to be one of those godly influences. I'm very thankful that next year my son is going to be joining us over in the youth ministry because there are a lot of kids who are imperfectly but boldly trying to figure out what it means to walk with Christ in 2023 as a middle schooler and a high schooler. And I'm thankful that he's going to have their godly influence. There's so many things that can occupy our time, so many options for where we lead our families. And so let's not sacrifice the time that we do have by investing in meaningless Things. And that's part of what it means to walk with the Lord, is us figuring out what is meaningful, what is meaningless. And so let's lead our kids, you know, to chase after Jesus and not chase after the wind. Um, so Jesus is teaching about, about priorities, and then he also teaches uh, his disciples now at this point about what it means to please God. So pe- people are bringing their children to Jesus, and did you see what the disciples do? Shoo them away. They reprimand and discourage these families. And Jesus sees that. And do you see what his response is? It's indignance. He is indignant. He doesn't appreciate the fact that he's doing one thing and his disciples are saying, no, that's not what you should be doing. Jesus is going to accomplish what he sets out to accomplish in spite of the negativity of his friends. That's that's what he always does. His disciples don't want him to spend time with children, but he's undeterred from his purpose because he knows why he's there. He's confident of his purpose. This is what he's going to always do. He's going to set his face to Jerusalem and go to the cross. Even when people accuse him of blasphemy, he's going to say that he's the son of God. People say he shouldn't spend time with tax collectors and sinners. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to spend time with tax collectors and sinners. And now the disciples are saying you shouldn't spend time with children And Jesus doesn't appreciate that. He's indignant with them. He's like, no, I'm going to spend time with children. And indignation is a strong response, but it's not the only time that Jesus has had a strong response. Strong responses are necessary when directed against evil. Strong responses are necessary to call out things that are wrong that have become comfortable 
or the norm. Some other examples of times when Jesus had a strong response. At the beginning and at the end of his ministry, Jesus went into the temple and it was full of money changers. Do you remember what he did? Made a whip, chased him out, and this is what he said. He said, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a place of business and a den of robbers. There was a time in in Mark 8, we looked at this a few weeks ago, when Peter was sitting with Jesus and the other disciples, and Jesus was talking about the purpose of his ministry, the the fact that he was going to face rejection, the fact that he was going to be killed but then rise again, and Peter tried to stop him. He said, no, Lord, and do you remember what Jesus said then? He said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because your mind should be set on God's interests, but instead it's set on man's interests. Jesus had a strong response. Another time in Matthew 23, Jesus seven different times in this account says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, you hypocrites. Woe is a word of judgment and rejection. And one of the, the first reason that he said, Woe to you, is because he said, you should be leading people to the kingdom of God, but you're instead preventing them. Do you see what all of these had in common? Jesus says, there's something that you should be doing, but you're doing something else. There's a subversion of God's intention. God intends one thing, but man comes along and undermines his authority, and that's what the disciples are doing. So this isn't just like a no big deal, a trivial interruption, the disciples chewing these children away. It isn't just that they're looking out for Jesus. This is a big deal. This is much worse. They're speaking for him, and they're doing it incorrectly. You know, Pharisees then and Pharisees now, they think that they've got the keys. They think that they get to decide who's welcome. comes from a prideful position of power, a desire for control. And Jesus is telling the disciples right now, you don't get to decide this. You don't get to decide what's best for everyone else. That's what the Pharisees have been doing. Instead of modeling the love and compassion, the care, and the invitation of the Savior, the disciples are demonstrating that insipid religion of the Pharisees that just drives people away. Jesus isn't okay with that. This is the second time that Jesus is addressing this and using the example of children. Um, Just in the the previous chapter, we just looked at this also in Mark 9, um, the disciples had been walking down the road to Capernaum. And they were arguing with themselves, and Jesus kind of picked up on it, and he asked them, hey, what were you arguing about? And they didn't want to talk about it because they were kind of embarrassed about it. And so Jesus sits them down. This is 935. He calls them, and he says, if anybody wants to be first, he must be last and be the servant of all. And he took a child whom he placed among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, does not just welcome me, but the one who sent me. He had just told them, if you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be great, be last. Make yourself last. If you want to be great, be humble. If you want to be great, welcome children. And now, just a few days later, Jesus is welcoming children, and they don't understand. They've, they've totally missed this. And so Jesus takes this minute, this moment again, to, to graciously teach them. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like a child. You have to be humble. 
This is who he is. He shows his character. Jesus is a humble king who values humility. He's on his way to the cross, the, pra- the place of ultimate humility. And on his way, um, Jesus was um, celebrating Passover in John 13. This will be on the screen if you want to read it there or John uh, 13, 15 through 17. Let's read this together. This is a story when Jesus knew exactly who he was, knew the authority and the power that he had. And so what he did was he showed them the full extent of his love. He got down and he washed his disciples' feet. Then he's teaching them about that moment. And that's where we pick this up in verse um, 14. John 13, 14 through 17. If I then, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I do to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know and do these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus values humility, and in the face of this prideful arrogance of the disciples, he graciously teaches them again that he's humble and he values humility. He says, I just got down and I washed your feet. And you're not better than me. The servant isn't greater than the master. You call me master, and if I'm this low, where are you supposed to be lower? Even more humble, even more of a servant. If, if we say that we want to follow Jesus, you know what that means for us? We have to pursue humility because he's humble. The children are the examples to the disciples. Back in Mark 10, verse 15 said, unless we become like them, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It must be received like a child. The children, are, they're an example to the disciples, and they're an example to us. Adulting is hard. It causes us to lose um, innocence and dependence. We start to feel the weight of responsibility. We start to feel like we have to control everything. We start to believe the lies of the culture that tells us what we deserve and how much we deserve and what our lives should be like. But we've got to stop and be more like children. Not childish, but childlike. Childish faith is immature. It's stuck. Hebrews 5 talks about uh, the people who are childish in their faith, and it's not a good look. It's not something that they should be proud of. The writer of Hebrews calls them out for being unaccustomed to the word of righteousness, unable to use the word to discern from right and wrong. It's not okay to be childish and immature, but we are supposed to be childlike. A childlike faith is growing in Christ-likeness, growing in humility, and uh, it understands what God values. Humility recognizes sinfulness. Humility helps us to believe in Christ's provision. We grow in humility and pray, God, you know, help me to see things your way. Help me to accept your way. Help me to trust your plans for my life. Help me to trust what you have for my future. This is why Jesus came to earth, to show 
what's really important, to take away all of our dependence on self so that we can truly say that my boast is in the Lord. Ron read from 1 Corinthians 1 this morning. We saw that God is going to use the foolish things of the world to shame the strong, the weak, the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He's going to use the low and the despised things. Those are the ones that he has chosen. We see that with the children. Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. One day King Jesus is going to return, and the people who are going to be with him in that kingdom are the ones who have humbled themselves, the ones who have received it like a child. They're the perfect example for the disciples. They're the perfect example for us to humble ourselves, come to the Lord in need of his touch and blessing. Jesus touches the children and blesses them. God loves to bless people. He's a good God, and what the promise of the word tells us is that he's going to then exalt the humble. We humble ourselves, and then he is going to exalt us. The word bless here, it it, it literally means a good word. He speaks kind words. A blessing is to bestow joy, peace, prosperity, and favor. It it speaks of an intention to do good For someone, Jesus was glad the children were there. It was good for the children to be there. He speaks these kind and encouraging words to him. And we see the difference between the disciples and Jesus, right? Because when the disciples spoke, they spoke words of discouragement, words of frustration. Jesus rebukes them because that's not who he is. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that we may have life and have it to the full. We need his blessing. Has he blessed you? He has, everyone has been blessed with breath. God's word says that he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God's blessed everyone, but even more than that, right? He's blessed us with the hope of eternal life in Christ. He's blessed us with instruction for life. Sometimes when we start to Um, look at the world around us when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we put them on other people, we start to compare ourselves to others and we might start to think that we got the short end of the stick. That somebody else is more blessed than us and we start to compare. And when we do that, we've been deceived and we start to take the blessings of God for granted. A lack of humility makes us think that we deserve more than we have. A lack of humility can make us too short-sighted to see the way that his blessing prospers us. A few weeks ago, Asher got in the car. I pick him up after school, and uh, he's kind of, I'm asking him, you know, how'd it go? You got everything you need? And he's like, oh, I, I forgot my book. He was supposed to read uh, chapter 12 or 13 of The Hiding Place. And uh, I was like, I, I could probably find that one online. And so I, I got, I found a an audio book of it, and I ended up just reading it to him. And I'm listening to, I never read The Hiding Place. It's a story about uh, World War II, uh, a family who was uh, trying to help people, and they ended up uh, being put in concentration camps, um, tortured, and the like. Um, I never read it before. And as I was was reading this to Asher, it was was such a moving time for me. And I thought I wanted to, I would read um, from this uh, one section for you guys this morning 
there's uh, two, two people, a, a young lady named Betsy and Corey. And uh, they're in this horrible place. And uh, Corey says, hey, Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Corey, Betsy said excitingly, he's given us the answer before we even asked. God always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down from the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight and drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. We were on the third complete reading of the New Testament. In the feeble light, I turned to the page. Here it is. Comfort the frightened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't it. Oh, yes. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as, such as being assigned here together. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hand. I look down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, yes, thank you, God, for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you. Betsy went on, for the fleas, and the fleas, this was too much. There's no way I could be thankful for fleas. Give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. I was thankful for the opportunity I had to be familiar with that story because as I heard it, I was just moved by the humility and faith of these young ladies who are able to be in a horrible situation and yet see that they were still blessed in the midst of it because God was going to use them to then be a blessing to other people. That's not the way the world works. That's not the way people who aren't walking in the Spirit operate. But for us who know Christ, those of us who have been served by His humility, That then becomes the goal for us, that we would be like children, humble ourselves. Not think that we deserve more than we have, but be thankful for all of the blessings that God has poured out in our lives. A lot of times when I think um, and try to understand ideas, I try to think about the opposite. And so the opposite of a blessing is a curse. A curse is an intention to harm or punish. The word tells us that we were all once under a curse, the curse of the law. The reality that our only future was going to be punishment because of our sinfulness. But there's good news. There's another blessing. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
He laid down his life. His blood was spilled for, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He made atonement for sins once and for all. And on the third day, he rose again and gives the promise of eternal life to all who believe in him. I want to end with, with this um, story from a hymn. There is a, uh, an old hymn that you guys might know. It's called Joy to the World. <laughs> we have so many reasons to have joy. We never sing the third verse. The third verse of Joy to the World says that he's come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. If you're here this morning and you feel like your life is under a curse, I want to encourage you to humble yourself, to come to Jesus like a child, to receive the kingdom, to receive his forgiveness by faith and the promises that he will lift you up and give you the promise of eternal life. He's come to make his blessings flow for as the curse is found. We don't have to stay under the curse. Praise God that he is a God who loves to bless us, and he has. Um, Katie's going to come and lead us in a closing song uh, right now. And as she comes, I wanted to challenge you guys with a, a, a few um, thoughts. Just as I was kind of dealing with this stuff and thinking it through um, this week, um, I just wanted to consider, I wanted to challenge you guys to consider what you value and claim to be important and see if it lines up with what God values. I want to encourage you to pray that we will value humility and service, um, that we'll be childlike in our standing before God. Uh, Let's pray that we will be humble and low like Jesus. I want to encourage you guys to follow Jesus' example, to care for children, to welcome children, to teach children about the truth. We don't do it to manipulate them. We do it because they need a foundation. I always tell our students that the choices that they make now affect the kind of people that they're going to be in the future. Our children need a foundation of truth. The time is now.